thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, last week, I just want to thank you, church, because uh, I told you I was going to fill this place with seats, and I was going to ask you to fill the seats for me, and uh, you did that, and you did more than that. Uh, I was sending Hunter and Tiffany, go look for kids' chairs in the back, because we're out of chairs. Uh, and um, what's more important than filling the seats is we had multiple commitments to Christ last week. So thank you so much for getting people in the seats, because that's what we're here for, is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. Uh, last week was Easter. Did you guys know that? Uh, we looked at a couple of different encounters that Jesus had uh, on Easter and, and even on the cross. And we said if it weren't for his resurrection, this series would have had to come to an end. Hey, tithes and offerings. Lord, I thank you for uh, your presence here today. I thank you for Rob and Ron to remind me, Lord. And I, I thank you uh, for your provision in our lives. I pray that you would bless every gift and every giver. In Jesus' name, amen. So we said last week that uh, if it weren't for his resurrection, the series would have come to an end last week, Encounters with Jesus. But because it did not come to an end, we get to just tweak it a little bit and continue in the series, and it's called Encounters with the Risen Jesus. And we're going to look in this series for the rest of the month at encounters that Jesus had with people that changed their lives after the resurrection. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus appeared to the people for a period of about 40 days and he gave them many uh, convincing proofs that it was him and that in fact he was alive teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that during these 40 days uh, he encountered the disciples on three separate occasions. It may have happened more than that but the Bible talks about three, uh, three specific occasions. Today we're going to look at two of those. Uh, as we go into these occasions, uh, we're going to look at when Jesus first encounters the disciples and Thomas is not there, and then we're going to go into when Jesus encounters them again, and this time Thomas is there. So as I'm uh, reading here, I just encourage you to, to compare and contrast uh, the two events. It's in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also, called, also known as Didymus, uh, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Lord, we come again. We thank you for your word. 
thank you for your presence, God, and I pray that you would speak, that you would open every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, it's because of this story that I just read that Thomas received a nickname and, unfortunately, a legacy that most of us know him by, and that's Doubting Thomas. And we can kind of see why, because the Bible says when Jesus encountered the disciples, uh, they were overwhelmed with joy. Uh, yet when they told Thomas about it, uh, Thomas said, unless I touch him for myself and unless I see him for myself, uh, I will never believe. And uh, can I tell you something? Uh, Thomas's, uh, or let me say it this way, the flaw in Thomas was not that he wanted to encounter Jesus for himself. Uh, that is actually healthy. Uh, it, it's healthy that we don't settle for knowing someone who encountered Jesus or for being married to someone who encountered Jesus or for going to a church where people have encountered Jesus. So today I'm going to tell you something that probably no other church is saying this morning, and that's this. Be like Thomas. <coughs> Be like Thomas. Thomas had a desire to touch him and see him for himself. Don't be satisfied that you know someone who has encountered Jesus. How many of you, when you wrote down the person you want to be like, wrote Thomas? Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> That's okay. I want you to uh, consider how many times Thomas had encountered Jesus in the past as well. Thomas has been there for countless miracles. He's seen Jesus and touched Jesus many, many times. Yet here Thomas is again saying, I need to touch him and I need to see him. And again, I would say to you, be like Thomas. Because in a certain way, this is actually healthy. It's healthy that, uh, say, you encountered Jesus last week on our, at our Easter service. It's healthy for you to come in today and say, I'm not going to coast on last week, but I want to encounter him today. There's actually a precedent for this that's set in, uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 16, when God fed the Israelites manna in the wilderness. The Bible says that God commanded the people, commanded them, do not stock up on the manna. Don't survive on yesterday's manna. Monday's manna is not intended for Friday. Every day I will provide for you. And in the same way, I, I would encourage you not to coast on yesterday's experiences with God, but ask him for new experiences. I would say uh, if you have encountered Jesus, to cherish that and, and to, to relish that and to praise God for that, but then to come back and say, God, I want to touch you again. Uh, I want to fill you again. Uh, don't stop seeking him. Uh, God is not like a gas station where we go fill up when we're empty. But the Bible says to abide in Jesus Christ, to continually be present with him. So I'll say it one more time. Thomas's great flaw was not that he wanted to encounter Jesus. Thomas's great flaw was that he based his faith on that encounter. Thomas's great flaw was that he hung the balance of his faith on an encounter. Now it's one thing to have a faith that desires to touch Jesus and to encounter Jesus. That's healthy. It's another thing to take your faith and to base it on any one thing other than the person of Jesus Christ. Then it becomes un unhealthy. What Thomas did was wrong uh, he said, if I don't touch him, then I won't believe. 
He based his faith on the condition that this must happen first. He brought conditions into his faith. Anytime we say to God, God, I'll believe you if, or God, I'll have faith in you if, or God, I'll trust you if, then what we've done is we have created conditions for our faith when God has called us to unconditional faith. Now, this actually wasn't all that uncommon in the Bible that, that people would set uh, conditions for their faith. If you look at John chapter 6, the crowds are asking Jesus for a sign, and they actually make it a condition of their faith in him. In verse 29, uh, Jesus said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And the people uh, then asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? They said, if you will show us a sign on that condition, we'll place our faith in you. In Mark chapter 15, it happens again. This time Jesus is on the cross. And it says that the people looked up at him on the cross. And they said this in verse 32. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. They said, this is the condition of our faith in him. If he'll meet my conditions, then I will place my faith and my trust in him. You know, it's good from time to time to examine ourselves in our faith. It's good to examine whether or not we have conditions for our faith. Uh, is there a condition in your life that keeps your, your faith in Jesus. Maybe uh, it's your health. As long as you're healthy, you'll keep your faith in Jesus. Uh, or as, if you get your healing, then you'll really trust in Jesus. Or as long as you're financially secure, you'll have your faith in Jesus. There's an easy way of discovering whether we have conditions for our faith. It's a simple question. Is there anything in your life that if it were stripped away from you, your faith would go with it? Is there anything that if this one thing were stripped away, I don't know that I could follow God anymore? Could it be that we have conditions for our faith? You know, the people would constantly come to Jesus and say, give us a sign and we'll believe. Give us a sign and we'll believe. And Jesus said on at least three occasions, I'll give you a sign. Destroy the temple and I'll build it up. Or I'll give you the sign of Jonah, just like he was in the belly of the, the, the fish for three days and then spit out. In other words, I'll give you a sign. And that can be the condition of your faith if you want it. And that's the empty tomb. But if I rise from the grave, I've met the condition of your faith, the only condition that you need. Now, faith, by definition, is having an assurance and a confidence in the things that we don't see. In Thomas's case, Jesus uh, actually met the condition of his faith, allowing Thomas to see him and to touch him. But Jesus then said, if, if you remember, he said, you've seen and you believe. Blessed are those who don't see and yet they believe. Now, I've always imagined Thomas, uh, doubting Thomas uh, of envying uh, the other disciples in their faith, kind of seeing the disciples of others and wishing, or the faith of others and wishing he had that faith. Uh, like Peter, when he walked on water, I wonder if Peter was looking at him saying, I wish I had that faith. Or James and John, who got to be with Jesus everywhere he went and looking at them and saying, I wish 
they had their faith. And it's actually very easy for us as Christians to fall into this pattern of looking at others and saying, I wish I had that faith. Sometimes we look at them and we think it's easier for them to have that faith. We do that for two reasons. They haven't gone through what I've gone through. They haven't experienced what I've experienced. So it's easier for them to have that great faith. Or the other one might be they've experienced way more than I have. They've experienced God in different ways, in better ways than I have. It's easier for them to have that faith. I want to say to you this morning, and I'm actually going to show it to you in Scripture, that when we see others who seem to have this mighty, flawless faith, things aren't always exactly as, as they appear because we're all on journeys of faith. God didn't call Kelly to have Teresa's faith. He didn't call you to have my faith or me to have yours. God has called you to a journey of faith in him. This week I recognized something in John's gospel that I actually found uh, kind of funny. Uh, when John is writing about himself in the gospels, uh, John does it in a way that kind of paints himself uh, in a favorable image. Uh, I'm not say saying at all that he was dishonest. Uh, I'm not saying that he was ever lying about anything. I'm just saying uh, at times John would say things that nobody else included. At times, John would omit things that others included. For instance, it's only found in the book of John, in the book of John alone, that when John and Peter ran to the tomb, John specifically says, but I outran him. <laughs> I was faster. John's the only one who thought that was necessary to put in there, but John put it in there. John's the only gospel writer who referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. John's the only uh, disciple to say, hey, at the Last Supper, I was sitting next to Jesus, and actually I was reclining into Jesus, leaning into him. John's the only one who thought it was necessary to include that little tidbit. John's the only writer to say, hey, when Jesus was on the cross, I was there, and he gave me his mother. He entrusted Mary to my care. John was the only one who found that necessary now, all these things are true, but all of these things only John included. And I love it because what it does is it kind of shows the humanity of John. The humanity of John that said, if I'm writing a gospel about myself, everybody will know that I was faster than Peter, and I'm going to make sure of it. Um, we experience this actually every day. Uh, JR is about to turn six, Davy is four. When they go play outside, uh, almost on a daily basis, Davy comes screaming to the door at some point. But every time, if I look out the window or if I'm on the porch, Davy is, you know, kind of waddling up to the porch screaming, and here comes JR, vroom, right past him, because he wants to give a more favorable account of what just <laughs> took place. Uh, actually, it was two days ago. Davy comes screaming up to the door, uh, and uh, JR right past him. And I open the door and I say, What's going on? And JR is almost out of breath. He's like, Davy hit me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, is that, is that why Davy's crying? Because he hit you. I think you left out something that's a little bit important to the story here. You know, John, when he's writing about the disciples encountering Jesus here the first time, 
I think John actually does this. Uh, he's not being dishonest. He just leaves out a few details that are kind of important because uh, in the book of Luke, Luke was a historian. Uh, Luke was not in the room, but Luke got eyewitness accounts and stories of everyone he could who knew what was going on. And then when John is writing from it, uh, writing about it in a personal, uh, from a, a, a personal place, Luke wrote about it from a historical uh, place. So in Luke chapter 24, this is the same story. It says, while the uh, disciples, beginning in verse 36, while the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still, not, uh, they still did not believe it because of amazement and joy. So remember, we've got John writing the same story, but he's in the story. And then we have Luke writing the, the story from a historical perspective. So what I've done is, is I kind of put it side by side so we can see what's going on here. Uh, so John opens the story by saying Jesus shows up and Jesus says, peace to you. Go ahead and put that up. And then Luke says, this is how the story opens up. Peace be with you. Exact same way. So far, so good, right? Uh, then John, next, uh, go ahead to the next one. John says nothing about their initial reaction to Jesus' appearance. But Luke does say something. Luke says the disciples were startled and frightened by his appearance. In fact, they were trembling in fear. You know, the, uh, if you go into the original language, it's trembling in fear. That's why that's up there. Uh, the next thing that happens is uh, John says that Jesus showed them his wounds, but in the Gospel of John, it just kind of looks like Jesus did it on his own accord. Then Luke gives the same account, and he says Jesus showed them his wounds because he saw doubts rising in their minds. You can see that John is kind of painting a little bit of a better picture of himself. He's not being dishonest at all. He's just omitting a few facts from the situation. Then finally, John says that the disciples were overjoyed. And Luke, the historian, says, despite their joy and amazement, they still did not believe. I would say the difference between Thomas and all of the other disciples in the room is all of the others had doubts in their hearts. And Thomas was just vocal about his doubts. Because Luke writes and he says, Jesus saw that doubts were rising up in their minds. Thomas was just blatant and, and honest. And if you've ever found yourself, or maybe you do today, looking at someone and you almost have their faith on a pedestal, saying, I wish I had that faith. Maybe it's easier for them. The reality is, church, we all have highs and lows in our faith. What Jesus asked is he said, just have faith the size of a mustard seed, and I can work with that. The key is that we continue to walk in faith, even when it's not all here yet in our mind, we still walk in faith and our actions are faithful. So to me, the legacy of Thomas, 
should be, this was a man who openly and honestly struggled with his faith, yet walked in faith anyway. He was a man who it wasn't all in his head yet. It wasn't there in his spirit yet, his trust and his faith, but he still continually walked in faith. I'll show you this specifically in Scripture in, in John chapter 11. We're coming to the story of Lazarus here. Uh, starting in verse 6, it says, uh, When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. The Bible says after this, Jesus tells them, Lazarus has died, but we're going to go wake him up. So the disciples, as you can see, are saying, hey, last time we were there, they tried to kill us. And Jesus is saying, let's go anyway. And then Thomas speaks up in verse 16. It says, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know if you're catching what's happening there. Thomas is saying, we're going to walk in faith and obedience because he told us to. But we're going to die too. <laughs> After we die, we can just say, Jesus, I told you so. Thomas is saying all the wrong things here. I don't believe what Jesus is saying is true because we're going to die on the way. But let's go. Thomas was in this place where sometimes he struggled with faith in his mind and in his heart, but he said, that's not going to stop me from walking in faith and from stepping out in faith. Sometimes his words lacked faith, but his actions never lacked faith. Because Thomas did this, because he stepped out in faith, even when his mind hadn't caught up to it yet, he experienced what many would say was one of the greatest miracles in Scripture, where Jesus called out to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. Thomas was there. He was there for one reason, because he said, even though I'm struggling in my faith, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to step out, I'm going to go where Jesus says to go. It's interesting if you look back at the story where Jesus encounters the disciples. He says the same thing to them three times. When he appears to the disciples, the first thing he says, remember they're in the midst of, of fear at the moment, and Jesus says, peace be with you. And it says after that, the doubts began to arise in their minds, and Jesus said the same thing, peace be with you. And then it says that he shows up, and Thomas is there, and he goes up to Thomas. Thomas has really been struggling with doubt, and he says, peace be with you with you. The exact same way that he has replied to them, Jesus is really speaking a blessing of peace over them. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're struggling with your faith. Usually what it looks like is like this tug of war going on in your heart and in your head. God is telling me to go talk to that person, but if I do, I could be rejected. But if I, if I don't, then I've missed it. And, and it's, it's back and forth. And I can just see all these battles going on in their mind. And Jesus comes and he speaks peace to the fear, speaks peace to the battle that's going on in their faith. What we can see here is that you can be brutally honest about your faith and your struggles in your faith. And Jesus can use you to change the world. Renee, can you go ahead and come up? Doubting Thomas, we call him. 
You know, church history tells us that uh, around 52 AD, uh, Thomas sailed into India to spread the gospel. Uh, they've actually discovered documents uh, dating back to the third century that talk about Thomas in India. And it says that he did many miracles, he baptized many families, and he started at least, at least seven churches in India in, in a place that had never heard the gospel message. He spread the gospel for 20 years and gave his life for his faith. He was martyred. Faith the size of a mustard seed can change the world. And I want to challenge you today to not let your struggles on the inside with faith keep you from walking in faith. And the last thing I want to say, and I want you to hear me on this, Thomas had a reputation. Not a good reputation. His reputation was his lack of faith. past reputations, no matter how marred or how sin they are, or sinful they are, don't let them get in the way of God using you. Don't let them get in the way of you stepping out in faith and trusting God to use you despite your past. Can you stand with me this morning? prayer this morning is that we would have unconditional faith in you. That we would have unconditional obedience towards you. I pray, God, that, that by your spirit you would give us a boldness, Lord, that says, even when, when my heart doesn't fully trust I'll obey anyway, and I'll step out anyway, and I will go anyway. I pray this morning over any person, God, who is holding on to past reputations and past mistakes and saying, because of that past, you can't use me. I pray, God, that you would wipe that away this morning. In church, as Renee leads us, I just challenge you to let the Spirit search your heart. Say, God, have I placed any conditions on my faith in you? Take a few minutes and just pray that prayer as Renee leads us. much for coming next week he's still risen so come next week to uh, youth meeting at the couches kids meeting in the back 20 minutes
Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.